Hi, and welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast. I am your host and founder of Brave Parenting, Kelly Newcomb, and this is where you'll receive the encouragement, insight, and information you need to raise children of character in our culture that is saturated with media and technology. You know, we call it Brave Parenting because it takes courage and hard work to stay on top of technology and then choose how you and your family will incorporate that into your lives. Our ultimate goal here is to help you from feeling powerless, or ill-equipped to raise your tech-savvy kids today. Let's go straight into today's show. In news, we're going to be talking about the cheese challenge and the mistaken Uber murder. Our character focus is going to be on the virtue of gratitude. In our apps, Five Facts, we'll be focusing on the app Venmo. And in our family focus, we're going to be talking about earning, saving, and spending money and what that looks like today with our kids and our culture. All right, in the news today, we have this challenge that's gone viral, which is they call it the cheese challenge. And the concept of what's happening here is you take a piece of cheese, you know, the manufactured kind of cheese that's wrapped in plastic and, you know, yellow, that standard sandwich cheese, and you then throw it on your child. The humor, as people are finding it, is that the the piece of cheese sticks to their face um, I've even seen people throw it right at their animals, but the, the whole humor is supposed to be that the, that manufactured cheese is so sticky that you throw it at them, it sticks to their face, and then you sort of capture this on video and, and you laugh, find humor in their the child's reaction or the fact that it's right still stuck to the face. So as this has been going viral more and more on different social media platforms, you know, there's been obviously a lot of humor in that, but then there's also been a lot of sort of outrage as to why parents are sort of humiliating or embarrassing or, you know, gaining likes and follows and and that sort of popularity or whatever it is that they're seeking at the child's expense. Why they're posting this maybe embarrassing, it certainly would be embarrassing later, not that the kid knows now, photo on, you know, or video on the internet in order to do that. Like what is the, you know, the source or the motivation in the parent's heart in order to do that? It's a good question. It sort of goes to why any of these challenges, what is what is the motivation in any of these social media challenges, whether it be for your child, your teen, or even you, right, as a parent. Is it to just be funny? Is it to gain likes and follows? You know, as a parent, it's really important to consider this idea of privacy. Um, don't know very many people, once they grow up, become an adult, and maybe they're applying for a job, that they're going to love the fact that you posted a video on them that is, you know, forever maybe on the internet or somehow, some way, someone can find it, of them being embarrassed, of having cheese stuck to their face, or, you know, crying because you pranked them. All of those um, those aspects of posting these videos that must be considered from parents. Ultimately, our children trust us and they're their trust is something that we definitely need to steward well and posting these embarrassing videos of them probably isn't the best way to do that. One question that I like to ask um, parents when I, when I speak is, you know, is there something, you know, selfish? Like if we look inside of our own heart, our own motivation, is there something selfish in me that's motivating me to post pictures of my child um, in a very humorous way or an embarrassing way in order to gain likes or to gain follows or to appear, you know, as this great parent or frustrated parent, whatever it is. I mean, we really need to seek that motivation and see what that is. 
um, because ultimately all of what we put on the internet will be forever um, in our our kids' sort of virtual bucket, their virtual resume, will for, all of this will forever follow them. So consider what your child will think when they're an adult before you post any of these challenges. Also in our news is this story that you may have heard about, and it's this very um, sad, tragic story of a young college girl on her age 21. She was out with friends at about 2 a.m. She called or went, you know, on the app and, and called for an Uber. And when she waited outside, the car that pulled up that she got into that she believed to be her Uber ride was not her Uber driver. And the driver had very malicious intent and he ended up murdering her and dumping her body in a nearby woods. And in the span of about 24 hours, she was reported missing by her friends. Um, Police were notified and they were able to um, apprehend the suspect. Um, But the fact remains is that this young girl um, lost her life because of this mistaken Uber vehicle. As we posted this story on our Brave Parenting Facebook page, you know, a lot of people sort of chimed in and, you know, discussed, you know, who's most responsible? Is it the consumer, us who are using Uber to get a ride somewhere? Or does Uber and Lyft and the companies um, that are providing these transportation, are they more responsible or should they be more responsible for the safety and security of people using its service? So right now, as it stands for Uber, the consumer themselves, that the person taking the ride is the one responsible for making sure that that is their Uber driver. Um, they are given a description of the car as well as the, who the driver is on their app before they get into the car. And so they're stating that essentially, hey, this, these are your responsibilities as a, as a user, as a consumer of the Uber service for you to double check these things. Um, however, you know, it is easy to say that the Uber driver themselves, right, could introduce themselves, could state the writer's name, maybe even state this is the destination that I have you, you know, scheduled for. So it could go both ways. Either way, if your children use Uber, this is a very important conversation. If you have, whether it be college age or even teenagers, even though you're supposed to be 18 to use Uber, it's very well known that teens um, and even younger than that, I heard um, someone tell a story on the Brave Parenting Facebook page that they um, that there are 10, 11-year-old children using the Uber services in order to get to their um, activities, their sports activities when, when maybe mom and dad are too busy. But either way, make sure that they know what it looks like to be safe and secure using the Uber app, using this service. That way, we don't have to have these type of tragic stories again, right? So go through these details, talk about the story with your kids and make sure that they are to use this service, whether it be Uber or Lyft or any other similar service, that they know how to be safe and make sure that they're asking, what's my name, what's your name, you know, making sure that they're a legitimate driver. All right, in today's character focus, we're going to be discussing the character virtue of gratitude. Now, gratitude can also be considered sort of an emotion or a state of of feeling. Um, Ultimately, it's the ability to feel and express thankfulness and appreciation. Now, there are a list a list of benefits of gratitude. Um, And it's really important that we develop this sort of attitude or this virtue, this feeling of gratitude in our kids, not only to gain these benefits of gratitude, 
Um, but because we know that ultimately, right, the more grateful you are, the happier you are, and going into some of our other aspects we're going to discuss later, um, the more grateful you are, the less you want and want and want, which would go into our spending that we're going to talk about in our family focus. So some of the benefits of gratitude that researchers and experts have said, right, there's an improved physical, emotional, and social well-being of a person. There's a greater optimism and a happiness with people who are grateful in their hearts. Also, there's a proved feeling of connection in time of crisis, anxiety, or even loss. So people who may have had experienced a tragic loss of some sort or some sort of devastating news, those who can find anything in that to be grateful for, um, even if it's for the people surrounding them, they're grateful for that. It improves um, the healing and the, the bereavement and the grief often in those times. Another benefit of gratitude is increased self-esteem, heightened energy levels. This is something that everybody wants these days, right? Everybody seems to be tired, want more energy levels, right? Have a heart of gratitude. Also, there is proof of a strengthened heart, immune system, and decreased blood pressure. Having a heart of gratitude as well as the expanded capacity to forgive, decreased stress, anxiety, depression, and even headaches and also improved self-care and a greater likelihood to exercise. So you can see that this list of benefits, it does affect the physical body, you know, the emotional state, as well as the of your social relationships, right? The ability to forgive and, you know, surround people in times of whether it be crisis and just be there, you know, and have your self-esteem, have that happiness. So the right, all of these benefits. So how do we build that in our children? Not only, right, do we want to do it in our children, we want it to be in ourselves as well. So one of the most common ways and really the most effective ways is to sort of keep a gratitude journal. And this is something as simple as maybe a one line or even a few words of every day stating what you are grateful for. Ending the day, even if, it, if you're not writing it down, maybe it's simply meditating and thinking about pondering on what are those things that today I am grateful for. And it can be the simplest thing that, you know, maybe I woke up when my alarm went off and I'm thankful for that. Or, you know, that you're thankful for the simple um, things that we take for granted of living in a first world country, such as electricity and water. It can really be the simplest of things or the greatest of things. Recording these has been, sh been shown to give you long-term benefits. In fact, I read that recording consecutive, you know, gratitude days just for two weeks, every day recording something you're grateful for for two weeks shows a lasting benefit up to six months in that physical, emotional, and social well-being. So what a great thing to encourage our kids to do. Now, if you're not into the gratitude journal, writing that down, Another, a few ways that you can not only encourage this for your children, but to build this up in yourself is to, to verbally say thank you often. If someone is serving you, or if you're checking out the grocery store, um, your, your children's teachers, anyone who is doing any sort of service for you is to say thank you and say it often. That can also help build this emotion and this feeling of gratefulness. You can also write a letter of thanks to someone now, I think this is a great idea and definitely encourage parents to um, have children write letters of thank, if thank yous or thankfulness to, especially, you know, grandparents or anyone in the older generation. 
those in that generation who grew up with this being their standard. Yes, grandma and grandpa may have a smartphone and they may receive texts and that's all well and good, um, but if they gave you a great Christmas present or a great birthday present or they did, they took you out on a special date, writing a handwritten thank you note and sending that on to those in that generation who grew up with that, that is so meaningful and that you know builds up their own gratitude knowing the impact that they had um, and how grateful the child is. That has also been scientifically proven to increase happiness in those who receive a handwritten letter. So don't always allow that text. Sometimes that text is appropriate, but handwritten is also equally as good. Um, also express gratitude at meals. If this isn't something that you practice, it's something you can definitely do either alone or start doing with your family, expressing gratitude for the food um, that you have. You know, there are many countries, it's really easy to take, you know, for granted all that we have, but there are many countries who don't get three meals a day or don't have the abundance of food. Also, you can practice not gossiping, complaining, or judging. That's also ways that can sort of, of sap the gratitude and the thankfulness from you. So by practicing that, you can also increase this heart of thankfulness. Also expressing gratitude um, to your partner for you, right? Your spouse um, or maybe coworkers, expressing gratitude for the simple things. Hey, thank you for doing this thing that you do maybe every single day. Hey, thank you for doing the dishes. I know you do them every day and I just want you to know that I'm so thankful, right? Or someone at work, hey, thanks for working alongside me today. It was awesome. I, you know, we do the same job every day, but I just really wanna thank you because you make work enjoyable. Finding those things to be grateful for really does benefit us in all those aspects, physically, emotionally, and socially. You can check out our show notes today and we have a download for you and it's just a very simple start to a gratitude journal. You can print it out. You can maybe post it and have everyone maybe in the house think of one thing that you can be grateful for and maybe start this practice inside your home. Um, maybe you can go over it at dinner if you have family dinners and just say one thing that was good or that, that you're grateful for for that, for that day. So check out the show notes to grab that gratitude journal. In today's app, Five Fact Focus, we're going to be talking about the app Venmo. And fact number one about what you need to know about Venmo is that it is, as they say, a simple, fun money app for you to send, pay, and receive money. Now, how that works is that you can use and link this Venmo app to your debit card, your bank account, or even your credit card. It's sort of in this, this genre or this um, field of what they call peer-to-peer -peer payments. Essentially, you're kind of, um, the Venmo app is acting as the middleman between the bank account and its users, and you're able to exchange money with friends or businesses through the app. Now, fact number two about Venmo is that there is a social feed within the app. Now, to quote them and how they describe themselves on the iTunes store, they say, every penny tells a story, whether it's for a group dinner, a road trip, or a concert. Add notes to your payments using your favorite emojis and like or comment on friends' stories. So essentially, what you spend money on or what you pay someone to be, you know, to split a bill or to be a part of, um, you're sending money or you're paying or you're receiving money for something, this can then become part of your Venmo story. And in this social aspect, you can then say what it is that you spent money on or what you received money from and then basically talk about it. You can name it whatever you wanna name it. It's not, doesn't have to be exactly like where you, you know, spend maybe with something embarrassing and you're buying, you know, 
hygiene items, you know, at Walgreens or something. You'd, obviously, it wouldn't have to be that. But it would be, say, if you bought a really awesome pair of shoes and you wanted to sort of show everybody who can see your social feed what shoes you got. Or maybe you went to a great concert and you want to show and say, hey, this money, this, you know, $100 that I spent here was for this concert. And so, again, this isn't um, anything new to this young generation. They love to share sort of everything online and, and share it in their sort of social feeds to kind of see. But, you know, when we consider gratitude um, that we just went over, you can see how this social feed can also make others feel bad if they know that they're spending money on all these great things. Of course, it makes you wonder, where do they have all that money? Or I wish I was invited to that concert with them or shopping with them, or I wish I had those shoes, or I wish, you know, I had this, whatever this may be that you see someone have. So that's something to consider with this Venmo social feed. Now, the social feed is what made Venmo so popular. Um, quickly after introducing this social network in 2012, it was bought out by a company named Braintree, who um, it was the people who are responsible for the, like, the Airbnb and the Uber um, payment system apps. Um, they acquired Venmo for $26 million, and then a year later, PayPal um, bought them again, this, one, this time for $800 million. So you can see that there's a lot of money invested in Venmo, which is good when you consider that we want them to be safe and secure, but we also have to realize that if PayPal is buying them for $800 million, of course, they are going to make money off of this app. And that brings us to fact number three about Venmo is how they make money. Now, if you're using Venmo to exchange money in between friends, they will charge a 3% fee. However, they'll, they'll waive that fee as long as you are using a bank account or a debit card. The 3% fee will be charged to you if you use a credit card in order to take money and exchange that, um, which they say, you know, originate the, the fee originates to the credit card company and they just sort of pass it on to the user. So then where does Venmo make their money? Well, it is, Venmo is accepted as a form of payment in almost 2 million, 2 million merchants. So that would be stores, shops, you name it, wherever you can buy stuff. So let's, for example, say Target. If Target takes Venmo um, as a form of payment, then I could go into Venmo and say that I want to, you know, buy some stationary supplies and I go in there and I pay for that. Well, then I can then post onto my Venmo and say, oh, you know, I bought this cute notebook or school supplies or whatever it was that can, I can label it. Well, now that I've used Venmo at Target, Venmo now has access to all of my data and my social feed. So they're going to be able to see how and where I'm spending my money. So that's the incentive for merchants to be able to take Venmo as a form of payment is because that data that they can then gain is you know, unlimited, like that unlimited potential to make money, right? So then they can um, make customized ads and offers directly to that consumer based on knowing how they're spending their money, where they're receiving money, all through that Venmo app. So ultimately that is how Venmo is making money. Now, Venmo has not been without um, some controversy. There has been some security and safety concerns associated with the app that they have definitely tried to recover from. But as more and more apps sort of enter this peer-to-peer -peer payment um, arena, 
um, they have kind of struggled to kind of keep to be in that number one spot. So some security and safety things that you need to know. Um, one is there is not a security feature by default, but you can set up a PIN number for your mobile device in order that before you use Venmo to exchange money or to pay for something, you can input your four digit PIN code or whatever that PIN code looks like. And that is a safety feature. That way no one could hack into your, or you know, really if you lost your phone, go into your phone and then start purchasing items or sending money to, to others, your PIN code would stop that. Now some best practices for these safety and security concerns that do arise when using a free app for exchanging money. Um, number one is to never store large amounts of money in your Venmo balance because you can um, receive money from a friend and leave that money in Venmo to then go pay maybe another friend or to go, you know, buy a cute shirt at a store. They're saying do not leave large amounts of money in that Venmo balance. Transfer it to your bank account, to your checking account um, when you have large amounts. Also, only use Venmo to exchange money with people you actually know. So that may be those friends when you're splitting you know, the restaurant bill. It may be, um, for example, um, someone's providing childcare and they wanna be able to pay you know, the babysitter or the nanny. They can do so through the Venmo app. These are people who are in relationship with you in some sort, right? People that you actually know. Not to purchase things from individuals that you've never actually met, maybe online. And that'll probably even go for someone maybe on Craigslist, um, some even if it's in the community. Definitely best to only use Venmo on people that you actually know and who actually you can trust. You can also opt out of Venmo's social network feature. And this may be the best thing, right? To, to not have all of your purchases detailed for everyone to see. The default of having a Venmo account is to have it public, but you can go into your settings and make it a private account. Also, they recommend that you turn on or leave on, right, the push notifications to you. So that would be able to be through text message, um, push notifications to your mobile device or email even. And that's so that you'll know anytime that someone's requesting a payment or that someone payment went through, if someone was to hack into your account and you started seeing push notifications come into your phone and you haven't been into the Venmo app in a month and you're not expecting anything, this would be a, an easy way for you to be alerted that there could be something wrong with your Venmo account that you could easily go and take care of. Venmo fact number five is the ratings. Now the App Store rates Venmo as a four plus and the Google Play Store rates it E for everyone. However, Venmo themselves in their terms of service does state to create a personal account, you need to number one, be a resident of the United States and two, be at least 18 years old. So they say 18 is their minimum, which of course, probably a liability because of the financial um, aspect of the app. So Brave Parenting is gonna go right along with Venmo in stating that 18 years old is probably the right age in order for to let someone use Venmo. Now, I think that there are circumstances where you could let um, a younger um, child, maybe 16, 17, use Venmo if there was a, a real legitimate reason. For example, um, I have a daughter who does a lot of nannying and babysitting and a lot of her clients all want to use Venmo in order to pay her for the babysitting. You know, these are, if you think about it, these are young millennials um, having children, having young children. So again, they're not of that cash generation either. They're not having cash on them. They're not even really of the check generation either. So they don't have checks, they don't have cash. So Venmo is an easy way for them to, in order to pay the babysitter. So that may be um, a reason why you would allow it under 18. But what we can say as we look at the App Store ratings and the Google Play Store ratings is this is not for toddlers. Four plus, 
is, is kind of almost laughable. Kind of brings us back to what we talked about in a former podcast of the fixed app ratings movement. And this is another reason why, you know, Venmo can choose their own app store and Google Play ratings. And they really need to be more accurate in this sense. It is certainly not for plus. We are not going to let our elementary school kids have a Venmo account and start exchanging money, you know, there in the third grade, right? For sure. All right, in today's family focus, we're going to continue this conversation of money and talk about how we help our kids earn, save, and spend money. This is an important topic. If you've not discussed it yet or come up with a plan um, as a parent on how you're going to do this with your children, definitely something to start thinking about and planning right now. If you have younger children, it is definitely not too early to start talking about money management, teaching them about money, how to save. Some experts say that, you know, to teach preschoolers and even kindergartens, kindergartners to save is to have like a, maybe a clear jar, right? Even a piggy bank as it will, you know, to save money is something that they can visually see. They can tangibly put in, you know, a bank account isn't very tangible. Also setting the example of, of saving money and talking about saving money. You can show um, the children how much stuff costs and, and just talk about it in conversation so that kids can start to have an, have an understanding of money at that young age. Now, as they grow up, there's a controversy. You know, do you give allowance? Do you not give allowance? Is allowance something you have to earn by doing chores or just freely given to pay for things? Something to talk about and decide how you as a family are going to do that. But a few ways that you can demonstrate good money management is, of course, by by giving to others. Maybe be a nonprofit organization. Maybe be a church. Maybe it's um, maybe it's not always financially, but maybe it's um, serving with your time. That can be equally as good. Um, but also to stress that importance of giving, but also avoiding impulse buys. That can be a really important lesson that they that they see, right, more than they're going to listen to you by saying not to impulse buy. But when you go to the grocery store, and of course, they're going to see some candy or something that they really want, um, avoiding saying yes to that all the time. And it's also maybe using that language of this isn't how we spend our money. It's not a matter of, no, I don't want to just buy that for you or no, you don't need it. But using that context of this isn't how we spend our money is on candy all the time or whatever it is that's going to make us feel good, right? We have to save. We have to think of the future. Using that language can be really important when the children are young. And then when they're teenagers, it really gets to be, you know, serious in teaching them about responsibility with a bank account and a debit card. Maybe they're saving for college. Um, maybe you're only making them pay for some of college and you're going to pay for some, or maybe they have to pay all of college, creating a plan for how they are going to save and how much they need to work during school and over the summer in order to have that money. Of course, talking about uh, maybe avoiding loans, even student loans, talking about the dangers of credit cards and how easy it is to accrue debt. Those kind of conversations really should be ongoing as your child gets to those the high school, the teenage years. Now, I have um, about almost five teenagers here in my house. I have seven kids total that start at 21 and go down to 12. So money management is a very popular topic in my house, and I'm, I'm actually asked quite often how we do it. So just to give you a brief rundown how we do it and in our family with all of our children, um, at 13 years old, we require our kids to get a bank account. And once they have that bank account, they have to save $500, as they say, in an emergency fund. And um, this is from the Dave Ramsey financial peace model. And that emergency fund 
is sort of their savings account in case anything were to happen. They always have that backup of money and they can't spend any money once they're 13 until that $500 is saved. So for some kids, they wait until they're 13 and then they start saving. And then I have a couple who understand a little bit better the, the idea that they're going to have to have that 500 at 13 and you know they're 12 and they almost already have their $500 that they're not spending. Now when they turn about 14, 15, we really encourage them to start working. If they can't get a job out in society at a business, we encourage them to babysit as well as maybe mow lawns, do odd jobs around the neighborhood for other people, ways that they can earn money. We also, in order to help them, you know, get to that $500, give them things that we pay more, maybe jobs around the house. Um, we've even paid um, for, I think, um, our older girls, we, we paid them to actually do the financial peace curriculum from Dave Ramsey and gave them a significant amount of money to do that whole program to teach them money management. But we give them ample opportunities to make money to get up to that level. And then when they turn 16, um, we do provide them a car and then they are responsible for paying for gas, um, as well as paying for car repairs, inspections, anything that comes their way, because that is real life. Um, when it comes to insurance, how we have decided to do it is that we do pay for their car insurance and our children practice paying for their car insurance by taking the money that their car insurance costs, which for our, our children right now, it's like $200 a month. They take that and they put that into savings. And that's a really quick way to build up their savings account, but they're taking that money and essentially it's that idea of eventually one day, I'm gonna have to pay this car insurance on my own. And this is what it feels like. But when they get, um, you know, they graduate high school and they're going off to college or whatever's that they go, they can then have that savings account to help them, to help launch them. But right now, we are paying for it and they're sort of practicing paying for it. Um, as well as once they turn 16 and get a car, we also have them bump their savings account up to $1,000 of a minimum balance. And that's to, to cover the deductible of their car. Um, the car, you know, is a huge expense for them, not only, you know, as teenagers, but as well as an adult. And so we feel like these, these aspects of, of learning at least, um, you know, maintaining a vehicle, learning to save for that vehicle can really um, help them later down in the road and save, having a savings account and planning. So that's just a couple ways that we do that here in our house. Now, there are lots of, of tips um, from experts out there as well as books. Um, in our show notes today, we've got a download of Teaching Financial Responsibility. It gives you some books that um, we have found and we support, Financial Peace by Dave Ramsey, as well as um, the Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber. It's a great book. And also Raising Financially Confident Kids by Mary Hunt. This is sort of a, a different approach of paying your children and, you know, from early on and helping them budget and then having them pay for basic items such as kids' birthday presents, um, their own school supplies, to help give them this concept of budgeting from a very early age. Um, it takes a lot of work, but I know some families who use this concept from raising financially confident kids and it's very effective. So I've got some resources there as well as some links to articles of just tips that you can apply to your family to help raise kids who are financially confident as well as responsible. 
All right, I wanna thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. I encourage you to jump over to braveparenting.net and check out our resources that we have there for you, everything to equip you to be the brave parent that you wanna be. Also, amazon.com, we have our published book, Managing Media, Creating Character, helping you use the technology that kids love, right? The smartphone, the video games, all of that, and help build good character, right? The character that you desire to see in them, the character that God desires. You can grab that book over on amazon.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time on Brave Parenting Podcast, please go and be brave.